Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight podcast for the June issue of the journal Chest. We have a great lineup of original research and review articles in this month's issue. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I'll provide a brief overview of key original research manuscripts published in each of our content areas. Starting with our asthma content area. Racial, ethnic, and economic disparities in access to care have been described in persons with asthma and COPD. Gaffney and colleagues look to determine whether health coverage and access to care and medication have improved and disparities have narrowed over the past two decades. Over 76,000 adults with asthma and 30,000 with COPD were included from the 1997 to 2018 National Health Interview Survey. After an increase in uninsured rates early in the study period, the uninsured rate decreased from 19.4 to 9.6%. However, the proportion delaying or foregoing medical care or going without medications did not improve in those with asthma and worsened in those with COPD. Racial and ethnic disparities persisted. These results suggest that the Affordable Care Act improved coverage rates, but care and affordability and disparities did not improve. Next is our chest infections content area. Prior studies identified geographic variation in mortality rates by race. By identifying areas with the greatest disparity in influenza and pneumonia mortality, policymakers may allocate resources differently. Thus, Donaldson and colleagues study asked whether geographic variation in racial disparity in influenza and pneumonia mortality exists. They identified over 540,000 deaths in the CDC database for multiple cause of death from 1999 to 2018. They found age-adjusted mortality rates were higher in non-Hispanic blacks than non-Hispanic whites across age groups. The greatest disparity was seen in two health and human services regions with disparities greatest in the core of major metropolitan areas. These results may help to focus resources to these areas. Also in this section is a study that identified phenotypes and subphenotypes of COVID-19 infection, a research letter describing non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease in patients with Sjogren's syndrome, and a narrative review about the use of MRI in cystic fibrosis. On to our COPD content area. Multiple morbidity is common in advanced COPD, contributing to symptom burden and outcomes. Shen and colleagues aim to determine whether distinct comorbidity profiles could be identified using a diagnostic code-based comorbidity index and downstream two-year healthcare use data. They identified over 91,000 patients with COPD with data about comorbid conditions, sociodemographic, clinical, and healthcare use data. Using latent class analysis, they identified four distinct comorbidity profiles, low morbidity, metabolic renal, 
cardiovascular, and multimorbidity. A significant increase in all-cause acute and post-acute care use was present across the comorbidity profiles. These results may assist with population-based risk stratification schemes for comprehensive COPD management. Also in this section is a study that assesses the palliative care needs and integration of palliative care for COPD patients and a review of protein biomarkers for COPD outcomes. Next is our critical care content area. Symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder are common in family members of patients who die in the intensive care unit. The barrier and colleagues asked whether a pamphlet describing the role of relatives in the end-of-life decision could decrease their risk of developing post-traumatic stress disorder-related symptoms. In this assessor-blinded, randomized, controlled trial, 90 relatives of adult patients for whom an end-of-life decision was anticipated were assigned to receive oral information alone or with an information pamphlet. Post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, anxiety and depression, assessed 90 days after the patient's death, were lower in the group that received the pamphlet. These results suggest this relatively straightforward intervention could minimize the impact of an ICU death on family members. Also in this section are original research articles assessing the impact of right ventricular dysfunction on short and long-term mortality in sepsis, the development and validation of a deep learning algorithm for predicting the need for mechanical ventilation, a meta-analysis of the safety and efficacy of dexmedetomidine in acutely ill adults requiring non-invasive ventilation, a meta-analysis of the effect of ultra-short-acting beta blockers on mortality in persistently tachycardic patients after initial resuscitation, and the relationship between obesity and ventilator-associated pneumonia. Research letters assess psychological symptoms among surrogates of critically ill patients during and prior to the COVID pandemic and the association between intra-arterial catheter use and risk of hospital-onset bacteremia. On to our diffuse lung disease content area. Diffuse alveolar hemorrhage is felt to be an uncommon complication of hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. When it occurs, it is believed to carry high morbidity and mortality, but contemporary data is not available. In this issue, Zhang and colleagues described the incidence, outcomes, and risk factors for diffuse alveolar hemorrhage after hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. In this retrospective analysis of 4,350 patients, diffuse alveolar hemorrhage was diagnosed in 2.3% of hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipients, 1.1% in autologous transplants, and 7.2% in allogenic transplants. The medium time to diagnosis was 126 days, in-hospital mortality 55.6%, and one-year mortality 76.8%. Steroid treatment did not alter mortality or length of stay. These results provide an updated understanding of the incidence and impact of diffuse alveolar hemorrhage in those post-hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Also in this section is a study describing the clinical significance of interstitial lung disease and its acute exacerbation in microscopic polyangiitis. Our education and clinical practice content area is next. 
Increased pleural pressure is known to affect the mechanics of breathing of people with class 3 obesity, that is, those with a BMI greater than 40 kilograms per meter squared. In this issue, Florio and colleagues assess the acute effects of CPAP titrated to match pleural pressure on cardiopulmonary function in spontaneously breathing patients with class 3 obesity. Six participants with normal BMIs and 12 with class 3 obesity had their respiratory mechanics, esophageal pressure, and hemodynamic data collected first supine without support, and then while breathing with CPAP, titrated to match their end expiratory esophageal pressure in the absence of CPAP. CPAP titrated to match pleural pressure decreased minute ventilation, improved peripheral oxygen saturation, improved homogeneity of tidal volume distribution, and decreased work of breathing. Blood pressure normalized without impairment of right heart function. These results provide guidance for establishing levels of CPAP support in this population. Also in this section are an original research manuscript that identifies and characterizes chronic cough through electronic health records, another that validates a compact system for the measurement of lung volumes, and one that assesses the accuracy of bedside abdominal ultrasound in nasogastric tube placement. A research letter presents the potential effects of financial conflicts of interest of speakers at the U.S. FDA Drug Advisory Committee meeting. A narrative review describes the pulmonary manifestations of torture and how I do it submission from our leadership series discusses how to build teams in healthcare. Next is our pulmonary and cardiovascular content area. There is a high risk of thrombotic complications during SARS-CoV-2 infection. This has led to proposals to increase the dose of preventive anticoagulation, though the evidence to support this is inconsistent. In this issue, Takard and colleagues aim to determine the relationship between the dose of anticoagulant therapy and the incidence of thrombotic complications. 538 consecutive patients with COVID-19 admitted to eight ICUs in France were included. The incidence of thrombotic complications was 22.7%. High-dose prophylactic anticoagulation was associated with a significantly reduced risk of thrombotic complications without increasing the risk of bleeding. These findings support the performance of controlled trials to assess ideal dosing of prophylactic anticoagulation in this population. Also in this section is an original research study reporting sex-related differences in dynamic right ventricular pulmonary vascular coupling and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and another that assesses the quality of life three and 12 months after acute pulmonary embolism. Our sleep medicine content areas next, Individuals with obstructive sleep apnea are known to have elevated levels of inflammatory markers, but the role of inflammation in the development of sleep apnea is unknown. In this issue, Wang and colleagues asked whether C-reactive protein levels were associated with the risk of developing obstructive sleep apnea. Subjects from several large cohorts who did not have diagnosed sleep apnea at baseline were included. The odds ratio for the risk of developing obstructive sleep apnea was 1.24 per doubling of baseline CRP. This association was attenuated when adjusted for BMI and was stronger in individuals under 55 years of age 
in those with a BMI less than 25 and in pre versus postmenopausal women. These results suggest a potential role for inflammation in sleep apnea development that warrants further investigation. A How I Do It review about the management of treatment emergence central sleep apnea also appears in this section. Next is our thoracic oncology content area. In the eighth edition of the Lung Cancer Staging Guidelines, nodal classification for non-small cell lung cancer is defined by the anatomical location of the metastatic lymph nodes. In this issue, Zhu and colleagues sought to evaluate the prognostic significance and discriminatory capability of the number of involved nodal stations. Over 4,000 patients with non-small cell lung cancer undergoing surgical resection were included. The number of involved nodal stations was an independent prognostic factor for disease-free and overall survival. Those with N1 and N2 involvement had similar prognoses when they had the same number of stations involved. The number of stations had a higher predictive capability than location-based nodal classification. These results may contribute to considerations for updated staging classification in the next staging system update. Also in this section is an original research study that assessed the need for biopsy during EBA staging in operable non-small cell lung cancer in those with triple negative lymph nodes. Research letters in this section include a description of temporal trends in tunnel pleural catheter use in patients with malignancy, another assessing the correlation between COVID-19 testing from nasopharyngeal swabs in bronchoscopic BALs in those who are asymptomatic, and a final that assessed disparities in lung cancer incidence for gender minority individuals. A How I Do It review discusses the creation of an incidental pulmonary nodule safety net program. Finally, I encourage you to take a look at a point-counterpoint debate in our Humanities and Chess Medicine series on whether it is ethically permissible to unilaterally withdraw life-sustaining treatment during crisis standard of care. A thoughtful piece titled The Headstand appears in the exhalation section. Our case series publications for the month provide novel and educational cases to test your clinical skills. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high quality content available on this month's issue of CHAST. As always, I am grateful to the authors of this work reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these submissions into our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the June issue. Thanks for listening to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chessjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.